your host, Maureen Metcalf. We are live from the International Leadership Association. We are going to talk to Donna Ladkin, who just gave a keynote presentation, and Dr. Shelley Spiller. They want to help leaders find their way in times where there is no pre-prescribed path. Welcome, both of you. First, how did you meet? Well, I was a visiting faculty member at Massey University in New Zealand, and as part of their welcoming me to that community, I was invited to a barbecue, and my husband, who's very interested in sailing, suddenly came up to me and said, you must meet this woman. She's, she knows everything about Polynesian navigating. And it was a topic that he and I had been discussing. And so I went over and started talking to Shelley, and I don't think I spoke to anybody else the rest of the evening. <laughs> we just completely hit it off. And we discovered that we shared a number of interests and leadership theory, and particularly looking at different ways of looking at leadership. And I think we just began talking about that and also our own backgrounds and where we'd come from and, and getting to this. It was really special. And, you know, when I recall that day, I was moving boxes into my office at the university and in what was known as the cool corridor. And Professor Brad Jackson was walking past and he saw me putting my boxes in my office and said, would you like to come to a barbecue tonight? <laughs> I thought it was really lovely and a warm way of welcoming into the school. And so I went to the barbecue and was chatting to Robin, Donna's husband, and it was just lovely. It was very, I think when Donna and I started to talk, we realised we had this resonance. There was so much in common between what we had been writing about and looking at. And I think it's remarkable that we'd been doing this independently across the world and then just seeing, to some extent, myself reflected in what Donna was doing. And I, and I think by yeah, as I too, right? Much, yeah. So what are the two of you paying attention to right now in leadership? I think from just yeah, perhaps looking at that from a wayfinding perspective and just to frame what wayfinding is, it's a tradition of being able to move in the world by being in close intimacy with our environment. And it's like in wheat who eat the snow, Bedouin nomads who traverse the desert. So in cultural pockets all around the world, there are these traditions of wayfinding that have been passed from one generation to the next through millennia. Mm -hmm. And the tradition that I've been working with alongside for many years now are the oceanic navigators. So people like Nainua Thompson, the great Hawaiian navigator, and Māori navigators who traverse the oceans and they don't use any instruments. No kayas, no mat, no, no sextants, no... They're purely reading the signs around them. Okay. And it really is systems thinking of the highest order. So they, they notice these different signals and make sense of the relationship between them and also interpersonal dynamics. So this art of wayfinding really is about journeying, discovery, exploring. And it can really hold us in good stead when we're in times of great change and the unfamiliar or journeying into the unknown which we believe mm -hmm. we're, we're at that point where we right. need change and we are in, in the unknown. So how do we build these skills as leaders to respond and to start to notice new things in our environment and change the way that we're doing things? Yeah. I mean, I think for me what's really important about the wayfinding work as well is that it taps into these ways of knowing that are often not really, they've been lost somewhere in the mm -hmm. leadership canon. You know, these, you know, the way in which we make sense through our embodied sense of, of where we are mm -hmm. and how we're picking up things 
from the environment, really being grounded. You know, I see so many, I've done a lot of leadership coaching in my time. And, you know, lots of times leaders are kind of looking at data, you know, yeah. just waiting for the data you know, analytics piece, but, you know, they, they want to, to analyze and they want to, you know, and data can be, I mean, very helpful, you know, right. Of course they can be very helpful, but at the same time, oftentimes they're extrapolated. There many mm-hmm. people have decided what data is most important mm-hmm. to put under the nose of a leader, for mm-hmm. instance. And, you know, they don't make up for that grounded sense of really knowing one's organization, really knowing one's community, really knowing, mm-hmm. more, you know, re- really being physically, not, you know, physically mm-hmm. located within it. And I think, you know, within our, within our world where there's so much that's done virtually, and I, again, mm-hmm. I'm a great proponent of virtual work. I do a lot of my work virtually, but, you know, it's to think that something does get missed. Mm-hmm. And, and what is that that gets missed? And, you know, and sometimes really vital information gets missed because we're just living in this kind of virtual data-driven sort of space. And, uh, you know, I think what, what your work is drawing on is that kind of embody. you know, we need to actually read the signs with our whole bodies mm-hmm. rather than just our kind of thinking processes. It was so many leaders, you know, they get, they're really caught up in these very narrow corridors of rational logic. Mm. And they're using old maps, outdated mm. strategies, and regurgitated plans. And they've decided where they're heading yeah. and they're plotting KPIs and indicators to get as quickly mm. as possible to this goal. And yet that goal might be completely out of sync mm. with the reality. It may not be where we need to be heading and completely mm-hmm. off course. So what Donna's saying and and in this work of finding and trusting mm-hmm. and affirming other ways of knowing so that it's both and it's being able to use our rational yeah. intelligence and trust that we have other ways of knowing as well. I taught years ago decision making mm-hmm. and looked at the two different models and and taught the thing that you're very much pointing to. We've got rational decision making. We can't throw that out. Mm-hmm. And we've got intuitive decision making and we can't do that without data either. So how do you bring together the data that we've got but then test it with our intuition? Mm-hmm. Because often, at least the intuition tells me something feels off, mm-hmm. and I, it, it's the invitation to gather more data, whether through conversations, and I'm using data loosely, not necessarily reports, mm-hmm. but information that I would get through sitting quietly from talking to people. Because often there's just information that doesn't show up in a report. Yeah. It's the context. Yeah. And the yeah. other thing that's hitting me so much is the idea of truth-telling. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about old maps and outdated ways of being. One of our conversations yesterday was if we are defining profit only as money versus including the environment, as an example, in the equation, the outdated map, but we still have to deal with it because it's the stock market. And so we're reporting quarterly earnings, and that's where the funding comes from, how do we integrate that current structure with this bigger focus on leaving our organizations and our planet healthy over the generations following, not just running as fast as we can to get to the next quarter, resetting, and and again. I think you raise a really interesting and important tension that people are facing and you know it's this tension between 
what has become the modus operandi of organizations, you know, in terms of demands for quarterly profit mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. I, I think it's really important to remember it hasn't always been like that. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. It hasn't always been like that, nor, and I suspect it, or will it? Or it won't be like that because actually we're getting to a point where that narrow way of defining success, mm -hmm. well, quite frankly, is going to drive us into disaster. I mean, it, it just is. So I think the sooner we can kind of reconfigure that, but I think the old maps that people are using, mm -hmm. that's what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. And I think we need, you know, I think collectively we need to be finding new ways of assessing mm -hmm. what success actually looks like what what is our purpose as organizations as people working in organizations mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. i i think that it's always just not going to work well and that's what was so fascinating about our prior conversation was that what what most of what we've been doing in leadership has gotten us here yeah right it's exactly here in some brilliant ways and here in some mm -hmm. crazy ways mm -hmm. and so what's the evolution yeah. look like mm -hmm. not that we throw it all away mm -hmm. but it's a step in our evolution mm -hmm. and what's next and the wayfinding piece mm -hmm. because there is no clearly defined path yeah if we're saying where we are is i forget the wording this morning we're at a place in between yeah. where what was before us has fallen away but what's emerging hasn't yet emerged yeah, yeah. we're creating it we're co-creating yeah. it exactly, yeah. so how do we find it and the wayfinding piece, because there's no one showing necessarily, seems just brilliant and incredibly important right now. I think it's a really exciting time, truly, because mm -hmm. with wayfinding, they have a very clear intention. They have an, you know, they, mm -hmm. they know the island. They can mm -hmm. see their island in their mind's eye. Mm -hmm. And yet they are responding to the environment whilst holding that clear mm -hmm. nature. I really believe we need more leaders who can imagine the island mm -hmm. and call their island to them. Mm -hmm. So rather than this kind of goal-conquering, striving mm -hmm. approach that we're so acculturated to, that if we just pause, stop, discern, and individually and collectively in our organisations, in our communities, mm -hmm. imagine that island, that future that we're calling mm -hmm. to us and start to change the signals and tune in more appropriately to what's going on right now rather than just being really fixated and obsessed about, you know, where we think mm -hmm. we're heading. And I think there's some really interesting changes around the world. For example, the New Zealand government, the Treasury is reconceptualising the economy around the idea of wellbeing. Mm -hmm. It's not just about economic wealth creation, but that that's a part of it. Right, that's right, an important of part of it because it helps us achieve our aspirations, but also to really look at well-being ecologically, community, culturally, and indeed from a Maori perspective, um, the Indigenous people of New Zealand spiritually. That's mm -hmm. really important. And Donna talked mm -hmm. about soul this morning, and mm -hmm. you know we've heard that that coming up a few times. A matter of spirit, so that leaders are tuning into what really matters. And that includes our, our spirit. Absolutely. Well, and the collective spirit mm -hmm. of who are we as a, a body of humans mm -hmm. and a body of beings. So all of the other entities on the planet, the dogs and cats and the, the cows and pigs that feed us and companion pets and, and every other, the trees and the plants. If we look at us as an ecosystem, truly an ecosystem of the planet, then what decisions do we make? Mm -hmm. 
and what's our spiritual requirement for stewardship. Yeah, yeah I like that. Thank you. Mm. I think one of the things that as a society we've really excelled at is kind of imagining from a technical perspective. Right, right. You know, we really, you know, when I think about the things that you can do with your smartphone, <laughs> it's amazing. Somebody imagined that all of that right, would be possible. Right. And it seems that we've really advanced in terms of our technological imaginations. Mm -hmm. Perhaps what's perhaps been left behind a bit is our imagination of what we can do socially together, what we can do as a community space together, what we, how we could imagine working across the many divides that now separate mm -hmm. us. So, you know, it just seems that we get stuck and polarized into different positions. And sometimes it can be hard for people to imagine, you know, how to mm -hmm. even converse across political divides, across ideological divides. And so for me, the kind of imagination that we need at the moment seems to be, you know, going back into thinking, what could we be together? What is possible socially? What is possible that, you know, that somehow has got left behind or we, we feel like it's no longer possible to, mm -hmm. to bridge some of these divides? Yeah, I think perhaps we've just been individualized and acting autonomously for so long now that people mm -hmm. have forgotten and, and to some extent, like what I hear you saying, Donna, is about this reconnecting yeah. and reconnecting mm -hmm. to each other. And, you know, you talk about the animals and the creation and just finding those, finding ourselves in relationship again, mm -hmm. that where I am, I belong. Yeah. And, uh, and it's interesting, yeah. I think there's been research that shows that during times of crisis, like after being the hurricane, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that communities do come together. People do know how to help each other, mm -hmm. you know, and almost, and people enjoy doing those things. And there is research that says that too. Yeah. We do better when we're helping people. Yeah. That's one of the best antidotes to depression and hopelessness. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we need to imagine how we can do that when we're yeah. in a real <laughs> crisis day, you know, yeah. when we're in, you know. How can we actually do that sexually? And support each other in that imagining. Mm -hmm. I think there are some really amazing leaders around the place mm -hmm. who are very courageous, who are, you know, boldly imagining different kinds of futures, mm -hmm. not the one that we appear mm -hmm. to be on the threshold of, who, you know, mm -hmm. people are crying out for effective solutions, for leaders who can navigate from darkness mm -hmm. and into light and who can help us go on the joy of discovery. And it doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable mm -hmm. because discovery involves discomfort, uncovering, breaking up a little bit so that new ways of seeing and doing things can come through. But it was also a time of, you know, of wonder and awe mm -hmm. to really find that again, perhaps, yeah. rather than despair. Yeah. You know, Donnie, you mentioned, and I don't, I don't remember the right wording, but living on our edge. Mm. And so, Shelley, as you're pointing to, it's not easy. Yeah. If I imagine, if I imagined myself riding a bike across the country, which is plausible, but I had to have to work out a lot. Yeah. That's not easy. Yeah. And my yeah. body will hurt a lot more than it does yeah. doing my 10,000 steps a day. Yeah, well, it's species, you know, on the edge is where all that yeah. change and innovation occurs. Mm -hmm. And we're at the centre. We, we don't necessarily have perspective. We're not seeing things differently. So going out to the edge is, you know, is a really mm -hmm. exciting place to go to. Yeah. But it can be very challenging. It can. And, and I'd like to offer the possibly those, those edges you know, sometimes they are things like biking across the United mm -hmm. States or doing those. But I think, you know, 
today, the edges that we face, I think, you know, they're in our day-to-day, moment-by-moment existence. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we do when we see a homeless person on the street? Do we actually just walk by and ignore the person, which I, you know, find myself often doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, you know, I'm not holding any sort of high ground here. But, you know, do we actually even just say hello? I mean, it was interesting. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. reading a study about homelessness and one of the things that people were saying, you know, people don't even look at mm-hmm. men. And, you know, and so I, my sense of my own self as a human starts to diminish mm-hmm. because people don't even look at me. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things in my own practice I really try to do is at least look, at least say hello, whether I give money or not, right, that right. thing else. And you realize how much actually when you look and see, mm-hmm. it hurts. If I it let myself, hurt. you know, here is a person who is is down on their luck. And imagine, I used to talk to the homeless people in my park, mm. and one whose daughter had been accosted, and mm. she had a health... And so I knew them, and their stories. They weren't all drug addicts no, and no, crazy people. Yeah. They were, in fact, in some cases, yeah. people who were down on their luck. Mm. And then they worked things out, and they worked through, yeah. and they ended up moving back into homes. Probably not big homes, but two of them specifically got together and got an apartment. There is a path through, but not when they feel dehumanized. Yes. Yeah. So it's that question, you know, what's what's the edge I'm working today? Mm -hmm. Is it just about reaching out, just about looking someplace Mm -hmm. that makes me feel uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. You know, is it just extending my hand to somebody who, Mm -hmm. because they need help, even though I'm in a hurry? Right. You know, is it Mm -hmm. actually doing that, you know, it's it, it's how do I live my edge today? Yeah, sometimes the the edge can so often be framed as the next big goal that yeah. I'm going for. Yeah, yeah. And really, what I hear and what Donna's saying, we were talking about this earlier. Those edges can be really soft and subtle, dropping deeper into some mm-hmm. kind of crack that we mm-hmm. we're not listening to, we haven't been paying attention to, but really wants to be heard. And it's just like just pausing and taking the time to reflect. And think a little bit more deeply about you know what we're doing and how we're doing it. We ran a workshop yesterday, and we were exploring some of the qualities of you know leaders. And really, what came out were words like generosity, humility, people who listen. You know, these are not these the people that were coming up in the conversation were great leaders, but it wasn't so much about what they'd accomplished is about how they do who they are and who they are yeah. and what were they in service of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, something again that came up this morning was inside and outside. Mm-hmm. So if my goals are just conquering a thing and delivering a result versus who am I in the process of getting that done mm-hmm. and do I leave my followers and my colleagues and my constituents feeling better and more inspired for that process, or do I leave them exhausted? Now, I've actually worked with clients, and this is not because of me, but who ended up having nervous breakdowns. Accomplishing that goal, was it worth? Yeah. And I can't make that judgment, but it I have seen pretty significant sacrifice in service of meeting a goal. It can feel very hollow. You know, they get there and they realize, oh, I've invested so much energy and time and commitment and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And the, you arrive at this so-called place, this destination. Mm-hmm. It's very hollow. And people are exhausted. We're meeting people, and that sounds like you are too, right? 
who are tired and exhausted and all and the time. All the time. It's not like next week it'll be better. And leaders, you know, too, with the KPIs and indicators, that's proving to be really flawed. We've got a manking crisis, um, particularly in Australia recently, where, you know, when people are only behaving in accordance with some reward system, mm-hmm. meeting KPIs. External reward. Or, yeah, or indicators. And they're straight-jacketed into that. And mm-hmm. it's depressing. They're, they're, we're so much more than that. Yeah, and to really fully realise the potential of people and organisations is to allow us to flourish. Two things come to mind. One, we often don't name this. Right, We're all running so busily and we don't have the courage to tell people we're exhausted or, or say it publicly, right? We say it to our families and we hope it gets better and we kind of think it won't. But it's not a public conversation often as leaders and then we don't talk about the practices to address it. And so what I hear you both talking about is what are some of the actual embodied practices so that listeners can walk away with a sense of there's a thing I can do. Well, for me, a really important practice is the practice of the pause <laughs> uh, on many different levels. Okay, The pause in terms of you know, at a moment when I'm feeling myself getting irritable, anxious, whatever, to actually stop and, and check in with oneself. Mm-hmm. You know, what is going on? To actually inquire what is going on and is there something else I could do differently here that would mm-hmm. help facilitate this or shift the space in some way? Yeah. The pause, you know, actually we do better work when we're refreshed. Yes, we do. You know, we do. And and there's lots of research that shows mm-hmm. that actually longer days in the office do not translate into greater productivity. And so actually taking the time out to have lunch, mm-hmm. actually taking, you know, making sure that you leave the office at a decent hour. Mm-hmm. And many mm-hmm. people, oh, if I do that, it's going to cost me my job. Well, it's interesting because most jobs are, are actually productivity-based. Mm-hmm. So if you you know you can find out that you can actually accomplish as much if you give yourself a break. Mm-hmm. Very interesting as well. Thinking about this, I had a one of my students, and she was uh, uh, in working in the National Health Service in the UK, and she was talking about how her staff were you know they were exhausted all the time, and she was mm-hmm. seeing there was a lot of people were getting sick, and there was a lot mm-hmm. a lot of absenteeism. And, and she started asking questions about what was going on, and in particular, because she was a very well-intentioned leader, and she wanted to mm-hmm. know, was there anything that she could do differently to help alleviate this problem? And they started talking about the fact that she sent emails at the weekends, and she sent emails late, late at night. night. And she said, yeah, but I don't expect you to reply to those emails, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, so I do them because that's the time that I'm free to do it, mm-hmm. but I don't expect you to reply. She said, and the response that she got was, well, yes, you may not expect us to do that, but what it does to us is it means we've got our work sorted mm-hmm. out in terms of what we're going to do, but mm-hmm. then we come back and all of a sudden we've got five emails from you. And so even though you don't expect us to do mm-hmm. this, you know, there's pressure on us. And she was very, she said, I'd never thought about it like that before. And, you know, she's, she's very well-meaning, mm-hmm. one, to really take care mm-hmm. of her staff. But she never realized that the simple practice of doing email when it suited her at the weekends meant that actually it put much more pressure on people because they wanted to do their best. 
you know, and people want to do their best oftentimes. And so sometimes we can inadvertently you know, put pressure on people in ways that can be very unhelpful. I worked with a client, very similar story. We were actually having a session talking about resilience mm -hmm. and similar. She had young children, so she would leave the office at a normal time, spend time with the children in the evening and yeah. start emailing at 10 at night. And what her staff said is they noticed how quickly others responded. And so it was something like the average response was within six minutes. Mm -hmm. So now at night, they're all checking email every six minutes. And same thing. In fact, she didn't want them to respond because that meant she had to continue to respond. <laughs> she wanted them to not respond. <laughs> oh, it ain't worth the reading for if I'm a good employee. So they're making their own meaning that isn't at all what she intended. And she would do the same thing to me. And I would respond. <laughs> the last thing I would do before I got in bed at night was check emails. There was usually one from her. And there was a question, do I respond or not? And so we get into these almost habitual patterns. And as leaders, to your point, I'm assuming the person you're talking about, and I know the person I'm talking about, had no intention of holding people hostage late at night with the expectation that they were on call. I love that word resilience that you use too, Maureen. You know, when I think about some of the wayfinders that I've worked alongside, they've got this amazing quality of stillness. Mm. They can be in the middle of a storm and it can be like, crazy. And we can, it can be like that in our lives as well. Mm. So how do we find that space mm. in the busyness mm -hmm. and really find that place of stillness? And pausing can really help us just breathe and get that space and one thing I've really noticed about the Wayfinders particularly, and, and I put this into practice in my own life, is that when the going gets tough, the tough get relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> and really just relax into it, right? And, yeah. and find that calm, grounded, clear space to move from rather than reacting. They get people at a business meeting, everybody's reacting, and just pausing can just give you that space to respond, to listen, and Get out of that circuit. Break the circuit. So I'm going to go on break now and come back and talk about how do we get relaxed? Because our physiology doesn't do that. When I feel attacked, my body physiologically responds. So I'm guessing the both of you have strong practices that helps your physiology either relax or overcomes the immediate rush of adrenaline and cortisol. What are your specific practices? Yeah, well, I mean, just to, to mention, there's this beautiful story of Nainoa Thompson, a little eye navigator, and he was describing when he first went into the doldrums. He was very anxious and nervous about it. And they got into the doldrums and you know, it was 100% cloud cover. He couldn't read any of the signs. The wind was going in all kinds of directions. You know, he sort of felt this rising panic. And then he talks about how he just had this sense of relaxation come over him and he leaned against the rails of the vessel and he just had this intuitive understanding of the direction mm. and he now describes that he more and more tries to create that in his life and I think that's a really powerful story about mm -hmm. just finding that space to re to relax and I all the people in the workshops that you know I've worked with and Donna's worked with there's so many different ways of mm -hmm. Sensing, pausing, mm -hmm. and you know, 
developing this quality of stillness. Some of the things that I particularly do, and I did this last night here in West Palm Beach because we'd been in an air-conditioned room all day, mm-hmm. was just to get out and walk down to the beach and mm-hmm. take my shoes off and go and stand in the surf and literally mm-hmm. get grounded. Right. Yeah, it was just yeah. so refreshing and energising. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a reset. You know, so I don't think sometimes it's not... It doesn't have to be really complex. We don't have to go on a, you know, a 10-day silent retreat mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. and... You know, it has to be daily. It's daily and it can be micro. Okay. Micro pausing, Mm -hmm. sing our body, stop talking for a bit, maybe listen more. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've trained as a yoga teacher and yoga is a practice that I've been engaged in for a long time. And, and the thing that amazes me about yoga is that actually you only need a minute (laughs) to actually shift. So it's amazing how little time is needed to actually get a different perspective and to get a different bodily response. So rightly, you're talking about the fight or flight uh, mechanism that the body has when it senses Mm -hmm. danger. But what's really wonderful about breathing is that although our breath can be automatic, we can also take charge of our breath as well. And so first of all, by noticing that we're just not Mm -hmm. breathing very well, we can start to deepen our, our breathing. I mean, it's a wonderful thing that we can do is actually change our breathing pattern just by breathing out a bit more and then breathing a bit more deeply. So one of the things that I often do that I did before I went up to talk today was just holding, you know, my, putting my hand on the lower part of my belly below my navel and just breathing into my hands. So I breathe in my abdomen expands and then I breathe out and my abdomen contracts and that just means that I'm deeping my breath and I just count my breath in and out, four in, four out. So I just bring some rhythm and depth to the breath. In a minute, seriously, in a minute, your physiology changes. You become clearer in terms of your thought process. You become more more able to sense what's going on. And so we have this amazing capability Mm -hmm. available to us Mm -hmm. all the time. And it's just to to do it. It's all we need to do is to do it. In the workshop yesterday that we did together, we were doing a walking practice. People just walking around the room and moving from looking outside to looking inside. People were amazed by how quickly your attention can just shift and your whole experience can shift. These are very simple practices. And using all of our senses Mm -hmm. really start to tune in, be more aware. I've had a meditation practice for Mm -hmm. 15 years. So I do, I do personally aim Mm -hmm. to try and meditate for 15, 20 minutes every day. And I do notice the quality of my day if I don't. Mm -hmm. But I think everyone, you know, I was talking to a guy recently who's working, who works in a sawmill and he was describing how he dives for seafood back at home. Mm -hmm. And he was describing his space of, diving and finding that peace and that calm and that stillness in his life. And that's one of the ways Mm -hmm. it does his research. Mm -hmm. So I just, I think it's a really exciting thing for people to discover for themselves about what that looks like, how it expresses itself. And one of the things I, I, you know, really believe in, because you talked about it earlier, rational, you know, we, we are far less rational than what we believe ourselves to be. (laughs) They talk about post hoc rationalism, that we just really, really, engineer our decisions later to sound rational, <laughs> but really to welcome our emotions and to see what's mm-hmm. alive in us, because that's quite important. It's telling us that something important's up. 
and, and may not have the data, yeah. but the feeling gives us information as well. Oh, that's right. And we might not act on those emotions mm-hmm. or it might, it might be messy, but it's just saying what's alive in me right now and what do I need to pay attention to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, move from a, um, from a place that's more grounded and calm and clear. And that's when we talk about cultivating that inner self-awareness, being able to respect that emotion and my emotions are often misinforming me, but <laughs> yeah, because there's something in my past or something reminds me of something, yeah. but it gives me, when I say data, not yeah. not spreadsheets, it gives me information that I need to pay attention to. Well, that's right. And you're aware of it. You might understand what's underlying those emotions. Why, why is that particular reaction present with this person in this moment? So the more that we are aware of what's driving us, Rather than just suppressing it as it mm-hmm. exists, so that we're just able to integrate that more and unfold more mm-hmm. fully into our potential. You mentioned the one minute just breathing, and I think it's important for our listeners to realize we're not advocating that you have to take an hour a day no. and sit in a meditation. No, no, no. I don't think any of us <laughs> do that. Um, it would be nice if I could, but I can't. I've been sitting on the deck with a cup of tea. Could be <laughs> last for wine. I read this book once about women's meditation. They had things like lying in the bath, and you know, it was really relating to all these different forms of meditation. So, yeah, I don't think it has to be a harsh discipline. But I do think there is something important about switching off the mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Switching off whichever device is going to ping at you or yeah. do, because that gets your adrenaline going. I mean, you know, we, we have our mobile phones on and they ping mm-hmm. and they go, you know, I can sense it every time I hear it. It's like, yeah. oh, I've got or it vibrates or something. Yeah, it vibrates. And so, you know, actually say, you know, for, for a minute, I'm just going to put it where I can't. And also, you know, not hours. Yeah, not just hours. a minute. Just a minute. I mean, we've recently moved and we've moved to a very beautiful place where I have a view of water at the moment and um i've gotten to the practice of i have my because i'm on my own at the moment and um i have a practice where i sit and i have my breakfast and i just have my breakfast and i don't have the radio on mm-hmm. don't have the television on i don't have my mobile phone on but i just sit for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and have my breakfast and i'm finding that that and I've, i look at what's going on outside me the you know, the color of the trees mm-hmm. that are changing color the birds it's a way of connecting with something that's the other thing bigger than myself, bigger than all of my little issues and my, you know, my little dramas and all the things that, you know, I get excited about. But to reconnect with that, those bigger, you know, rhythms and patterns so that I can just see that my little dramas are not I the answer everything. Taking perspective, and we've yeah. been talking about this recently again with all of the political dramas, yeah. and yet if we look at where we stand in the world right now, uh, there is less violent crime, women are better off, people of color are better off overall than we've ever been, and yet if I watch the news, you would think it is the worst time in history to be alive. We live longer, we're healthier many of us have access to really healthy food. Mm. I, I realize there are still people on the planet who don't, but fewer. And, and yet, if I if I turn on CNN this morning, it's easy to think the world is a terrible place and I, I just don't want to be here anymore. I'd like to be a hermit. That's a really good point. And I think, you know, going back to the way, you know, it's what you're paying attention to. Mm-hmm. 
you know, what we intend to. And that, of course, creates our reality. Mm -hmm. You know, I often listen to even the tone of voice that the newscasters read. You know, if Mm -hmm. I listen just to the tone of voice, it's like... <laughs> and this morning was one of those mornings, <laughs> you know. And and so I think it's for me the the balance is how do I stay informed and how do I stay mm-hmm. so so that I am responsible in some way to the world that I'm living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But how do I also attend to the bigger patterns, yeah, deeper resonances, and the things that bring real meaning to my life mm-hmm. as well? The relationships. How do I attend to really caring for the people I love and, mm-hmm. and in my friends and, and, and the people on my doorstep who I may not know, but how could I care for them? I, I think there was a thing that I, you know, what can we do? You know, we, we, we can't solve the problem of the planet. Right. What can I do that actually is satisfying to me? But I can't do it if I'm constantly distracted and if I'm constantly, you know, distressed. Yeah, or pushing to get somewhere or yeah. trying to mm-hmm. hurry towards some place. And I really, I love what you're saying, Donna, and also Maureen. And, and I really, about taking care of our place, mm-hmm. you know, and the critters and mm-hmm. our, our places. Mm-hmm. And really seeing that we're in relationship with every single aspect of creation in some mm-hmm. way, you mm-hmm. know, as custodians, as stewards, mm-hmm. as people who are, you know, I think endowed with an obligation to make sure this planet is flourishing, alive, well and healthy, and that we can do really practical things to look after our places. You know, as, as we think about this and, and as I listen to you, I think of how often I'm rushing to get through meeting to meeting. I'm always running late. Um, I'm always worried before one's over that the next one, how, how am I? And my goal has been, how do I just get through the day? And so this back to this imagine thing, Mm -hmm. if I take 30 seconds before each one to say, imagine what's the best outcome that could happen, Mm -hmm. then it's not, it it changes my, back to what, change in physiology, Mm -hmm. it changes the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So how do we move from struggling, connect to the bigger what's possible? Yeah, what's the bigger purpose here mm-hmm. rather than just what's the best thing for me right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, yeah. What's the potential of this situation? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, it comes back to leadership, mm-hmm. that leaders are about releasing the potential, about creating that. Mm-hmm. I love the where people the can, potential. You know, where people can flourish and express themselves and shine. And that's a really difficult thing for leaders to do because, you know, they've oftentimes built their careers on their own mastery and of being that person in charge and in control and it's a very humble thing to do to grow others yeah. and you know from a we talk about success being succession yeah no I'm just very listening to what, you, no, 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 no. what you're saying I mean one of the things that strikes me is about you know when you're rushing from and I do it as well when you're rushing from meeting and meeting what somehow the sweetness of life we miss the sweetness mm-hmm. of life and then and then what is life what the life just becomes a grind, you know, mm-hmm. and there's something about this, you know, how do we, how do we enjoy the sweetness of our lives as well, and the sweetness of our connections with others? And I was talking to a gentleman just after my talk, and we were talking about you know the quality of listening, where you listen with your eyes and your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just listening for what you need to know, but listening for that connection, for that sweet. To everyone listening, 
Take time to connect and listen to one another and cultivate that sense of information coming not just from our spreadsheets, but from our inner sense and from the precious people with whom we work. So we thank you for joining us and hopefully you'll tune in again soon. Music